from the pit. I learned this at the Freedom Center, at um, the Creation Museum. God created how many human races? Just one. And he has been remarkably creative in skin color and shape of eyes and all, all manner of other things. But Satan has been delighted to divide us in a divide that God doesn't see. Well, uh, I'm Zeke Swift, for those of you who may not know me. Uh, we're in the midst of a series called Building Strong Families in a Complex World. And in the first three weeks, we took a look at various aspects of God's design. And then in the last two weeks, we've had stellar presentations, the first one on the role of the father, and last week, uh, the role of the mother. And today, we're going to take a look at the place of the child in building strong families in a complex world. And I want to begin this topic with a prophetic word from Dove Chocolate. I don't know if you've ever seen these things, but if you open them up on the inside of the wrapper, there are quotes, and they attribute uh, them to whoever sent them in. And there was one we found from Laura P. in Wyoming that we thought enough of to have it framed and put between Beth's mirror and mine in our bathroom so we see it every morning. And it says, you are never too old, and it is never too late. And that truth is nowhere more true than making investments in in kids. Now, some of us here, in fact, many of us, maybe the majority, have things where we say, I wish I had known or I wish I had done. And you're in good company. Uh, I'm convinced every child, particularly first children, have more than enough evidence to take their parents to court and have them convicted of malpractice. (laughs) But God gives us years, and in some cases grandchildren, to redeem what we did wrong as well as to pass on what we got right. There are others of you here that can say, my kids are gone, or I've never had children, or in some cases I've lost a child. And even in those cases... There is no statute of limitations on the ability to invest in the life of a child. There is no one, literally no one, who cannot invest in a child's life if you're open to it. And we'll try to talk a a little bit about that later. So, let's pray. Father, you have created and are continuing to create the cosmos and this terrestrial ball and the concept of family and having children. And we ask today that we would see in a fresh way your design and your intention. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'd like to begin this morning with uh, the concept of God's vision for children. And and I have a couple of personal examples of the importance of vision. I remember growing up hearing Zeke or anyone, keep your eye on the ball. And 
when I was about 22 or 23 playing racquetball with my boss in the army, I recognized for the first time that that did not mean keep the ball in your general field of view. But if you actually focused on the ball, you could hit the ball. A little slow on the uptake. I had another example after probably more than a decade of trying to go from skiing on two skis to slalom ski. I was out on East Fork Lake with Amy Clark Taylor's dad, and I was successful at getting up, and I realized that if I kept my eye on the tip of the ski and not on the sky and not on the wind and not on the rope and not on the boat and not who was in the boat, if I kept my eye on the tip of the ski, I could reliably get up on a single ski. An example from a book that we've enjoyed quite a bit called The Art of Racing in the Rain. It says, in racing, they say your car goes where your eyes go. The driver who cannot tear his eyes away from the wall as he spins out of control will meet the wall. The driver who looks down the track as he feels the tires break free will retain control of his vehicle. And finally, a thought from the poet Robert Browning. He who keeps one end in view makes all things serve. Won't you agree with me? What we keep as the focus of our mind's eye in great measure determines our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, and ultimately our outcomes. So when we talk about vision whether you're in the church or even if you're outside the church, everybody knows Proverbs 29:18 in the King James Version. And it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. They might not know it's from Proverbs, but... And, 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 and so what that fosters is, well, we need to create a vision statement. We need to create a picture of a desired future. And that's probably important in some of the circumstances in which that work is done, but it's not the meaning of the verse. Contemporary translations say where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So... The place of children in strong families is not the result of a vision statement we create, but rather a clear vision of what God has created. Now, there are some young families here, and and you're saying, vision? Zeke, who are you kidding? Have you forgotten? I've got three kids under 10. They all came down the birth canal and left the owner's manual in the womb. Their arrival started a perpetual state of sleep deprivation, waking me up as an infant, and I know when they're teenagers, it'll keep me up at night. At first, there's this never-ending story of feeding, burping, diapering, and so forth. And then there's this tsunami of toys. 
I don't know what earthquake caused it, but they keep coming, and no one ever thinks about where they go, and they never get there anyway. Well, and then, then school starts, and there's this 31 winsome seconds where you take the picture, first day of school. And then whether you're homeschooling or public schooling, you get sucked into the hamster wheel of school activity. Did I mention the temptation to three seasons of recreational sports or ballet or gymnastics or piano lessons or Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts? No, I have not forgotten these things. And if I had, my six grandchildren would have reminded me. In fact, I've concluded that's why God gives children to young people who have energy and not older people who have wisdom and experience. No, the whirlwind of parenthood is all the more reason we need to be clear in our minds of the prophetic vision. And if you don't have one for your children, let me suggest one from Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, I want to focus on five words in this passage. Three of them I want to deal with pretty quickly because they're important, but they're not visionary. And then we'll take a look at the two that are visionary. So the first word is behold. Behold means see or observe a thing or person, especially something remarkable or impressive. God's saying, open up your eyes, listen up, pay attention. You know, those of you who saw the Crossroads Awaited show, remember kind of at the beginning, lo and behold, lo and behold, lo and behold. And even the process is remarkable. A man's sperm and an egg that somehow God had stored up by by the time the woman was born unite And you have a completely new, distinct individual. Isn't that remarkable? Heritage is a special or individual possession, an allotted portion. Our children, your children, are a special possession God has allotted uniquely to you. There's no one else like your child. On some days you're happy that that's true, but okay. And a reward is something that's good. It's given for service or merit. So we're going to ask some application questions along the way, and this is the, the first one. Are we beholding? Are we appreciating the fact that our children and our grandchildren are a remarkable and impressive heritage and a reward from God to us? Well, now let's look at the visionary words. And the first of those is an, is an arrow. 
What are the characteristics of an arrow? Well, the first thing is they're carefully designed. This didn't hop off the tree just by itself. Uh, And it's got a point. It's got a shaft. These things you call feathers are actually called fletching. And it's got a knock. And arrows have a specific purpose. This one is a target arrow. My neighbor that lent it to me said, Zeke, I'd put a hunting arrow on it. I'd put a hunting tip on it, but you'd probably hurt yourself. Uh, there, it's, it's straight and, and true. They're not thrown on the ground. They're carefully kept in a quiver close at hand until they're ready to use. They're aimed with precision and released with discipline to hit a specific target. Is this the way you think about your kids? That's God's word picture for kids. Now let's talk about warriors. You know, I I was in the military and I tell people, look, if you're not a warrior, don't join the army. Warriors are a different breed of cat. They're, they're commissioned. They are committed. They have clearly defined purpose. Warriors are trained. They are students of warfare. Generals read books about leaders in warfare all the way back to the beginning of time. They practice. They stay in shape. They rehearse battle scenarios. They're equipped. Every day they strap on the tools of the trade. They upgrade when new weapon systems are available. They keep their equipment clean and well-maintained. And warriors have their mind in the game because if you don't have your mind in the game as a warrior, what will happen? You'll get hurt. They report for duty. They're ready, willing, and able to put life on the line for the sake of the mission. Is that the way we see our roles and relationships, parents and children? Or has our vision been shaped more by that of the world around us? HSBC Bank did a survey 5,000 parents, 16 countries. This is no small survey. They asked the question, what are the three most important goals that you want your child to achieve as an adult? And here were the answers. Be happy in life. Lead a healthy lifestyle. Earn enough to enjoy a comfortable life. Be successful in their career. Fulfill their potential. And... As kids grow up and you're talking with other parents, they might add happily married, give me grandchildren, a productive human being, and above all, off the payroll. Now, I'm not saying these aren't desirable, but do we want those things to be the extent of our vision? Or do we want to be compelled by the vision of the arrow and the archer. Well, so that's a bit of vision. Where do children come from? 
No, this is not the birds and the bees talk. Uh, For those of you kind of in the younger crowd, uh, you may not be familiar with the birds and the bees talk. That was shorthand for the talk parents used to have with their children to explain sexual relationships. No longer necessary, because any child of any age can Google sex and get all the misinformation about that topic that they choose to have. So it's not the birds and the bees talk, but what is the prophetic answer? Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now we have a hermeneutical question here. Hermeneutics is the the discipline of interpretation. Is what the psalmist wrote here a metaphor? Or is it a fundamental truth, a physical reality, that God knits children together in the womb? Well, this isn't the only place that that concept is, is mentioned. In Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Is this only true of Jeremiah? Or is it true of all? In the New Testament... Paul says in Galatians, but when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He who set me apart before I was born. And one more passage to drive this home. Isaiah 64, 8 says, but now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. So if you believe the premise that God is actually forming children in the womb, the question is, are we acknowledging that the underlying design of our children... In effect, the tip, the shaft, the fetch, the knock are endowments from God before birth. Well, what's God's intention for children? Why did he create this mechanism in the first place? Well, an easy part to begin is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28, where God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And of all the things we seem to fail to do for God, we're actually doing pretty well at that. From Adam and Eve, we're now at seven and three quarters billion people, and we're still heading north. 
But there's another passage that sheds more light on that, and it's in Malachi chapter 2. And I want to provide a little bit of context. Malachi is a book, is a prophetic word from God to the nation of Israel before God is going to be quiet and not talk to them for 400 years. And he's trying to get their attention on a couple of important points. And, in, and, and so this is how it begins. And this second thing you do, this is Malachi to Israel, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards your offerings, offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So the people of Israel are getting this picture. God's not listening. And they're saying, why does he not? And the prophet's answer is, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Okay? That's the context. But the prophet goes on, did he not make them one, the husband and the wife, with a portion of the spirit in their union... And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. So it says, guard yourself and your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. What is God's intention with children? Godly offspring. Godly children. Now, what does godly mean? Well, if you look in the dictionary, it's conforming to the laws and wishes of God. That makes sense. Uh, character and conduct governed by love or fear of God, that makes sense. But, but it all seems detached, doesn't it? And I think what we see from Scripture is what God really wants, what it really means to be godly, is to have been with Him. You know, Jesus says, I am with you until the end of the age. The concept of with you is a theme that runs entirely through Scripture. So it's people who have been with him and as a result are becoming increasingly like him and therefore are in a position to be his representatives, his partisans in their generation, generation after generation after generation. Do we see our children as integral links in the succession of people that manifest and represent God to their generation? So we've seen where kids come from, what God has in mind. How do children grow? They don't come out of the womb fully formed, do they? And we've mentioned that They may have left the owner's manual in the womb, too. But there are a couple of principles that I think we can observe. The first one is children grow by discernment. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Marianne said last week that Proverbs are not a promise, and they're not. And there's also a dimension of this that isn't immediately clear in the English, but it's train up a child according to his bent, 
according to his design. One translation says, according to the tenor of his way. And I, I was working on this project this week, and I had a conference call with a friend of mine, uh, Joe McElhaney. He's 83 years old. He's the head of uh, Medical Institute for Sexual Health. We're working on a little project, creating a new sexual revolution because the old one didn't work out very well. But we were waiting for someone else on the call to join a call, and we were talking about this and the subject, and and Joe says, Zeke, you have to teach the truth of Proverbs 22.6. And he said, Marion and I had five kids. Four of them were like us. One of them wasn't. We treated all five alike, and the one who wasn't like us grew to hate it. grew to hate us. Train up a child in the way he is designed and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, discernment. Second, what's the curriculum and what's the delivery system? Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 to 9 is very familiar to us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Curriculum number one, God's words on our heart. And then here's the delivery system. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And not in the classroom, but you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, they shall be frontlets on your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. What's God's plan for training children? It's parents who live the Shema lifestyle before them that communicate the relationship they have with God and communicate the interaction of God in their life and and both proclaim and demonstrate that God's commands reflect His design and that living by design is the best way to live. And importantly, the classroom is not the classroom, but the teachable moments of life. So discernment, curriculum, and then discipline. (gasps) Discipline. We don't like discipline. Okay. The reason that kids up front are laughing, the reason that we don't like discipline is because it has taken on, in almost all cases, the connotation of punishment. And that's, it it really is training. Athletes exhibit discipline because they are being trained. They respond to coaching because they are being trained. And Proverbs says quite a bit about this. I'm just going to run through a number of verses there. Um, 13.24, he who loves is diligent to discipline. Love your kids? Be diligent in discipline. There's an alternate reading of that that says, He who loves disciplines them early. 
You don't wait till your teenager, till they're teenagers. Discipline, for there is hope, 1918. Discipline drives folly from the heart of a child, 2215. 2313, do not withhold discipline from a child. 2915, the rod and reproof give wisdom. And listen to this. A child left to himself brings shame. And on the other hand, discipline, and they will give you rest. And one final thought from Ephesians 6, verse 4, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is really important. There's another translation that says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Okay, and the reason he says that to fathers is mothers would never think of doing that. But dads, we we have to be careful in in the way that we discipline. There's a tonality of of discipline that doesn't provoke or exacerbate. But we need to bring them up in the discipline and instruction. And you know, I mentioned that maybe the kids left the owner's manual in the womb, but maybe actually in the Proverbs, God send it on ahead. So what are our questions? Are we astute students of our children? Do we adjust the training approach accordingly? Or are we one-size-fits-all parents, and often when we are one-size-fits-all parents, it's the size we grew up with, which may or may not have been a good fit. Are we inculcating the precepts of God in the teachable moments of life? And are we disciplined in the exercise of discipline? So, God's vision, where they come from, what God has in mind, how they grow. The last thing we want to address today is, how can the church help? And to help me with this part, I'm going to ask Leslie Swift, uh, Leslie Seaton... <laughs> Leslie Swift season, last I heard, to join me. Uh, Leslie is married to Rob. Uh, they have three boys, Abe seven, Sam four, Joshua one. Leslie's been the director of children's ministry here since 2015, and I've already spilled the beans. She's my daughter, and therefore you can kind of recognize the obstacles she's had to overcome in life to be where she is. Um, Leslie, what are some of the things that you experienced growing up that prepared you to be launched as an arrow into your generation? Um, So starting at home, there are a lot of things that kind of seem like little things. I don't know if you guys did this very uh, purposefully or not, but they weren't things that we sat down and said, well, this is what we're doing and this is why, but they were like um, praying your prayer life, Bible reading, verses on note cards all over the house or in the car, um, your commitment to your home fellowship group, your small group, um, and then church. Every, church on Sunday was not a question. It was that we, we go to church every week unless you're violently ill. And it was we worshiped together at first service, and then everybody went to Sunday school, second service, adults and kids alike. Um, so those are the things that stick out in my mind of just the repetition of this is who we are, this is what we do. 
And then at church, that commitment to being at church every weekend was um, really foundational because we had these friendships that started when we were in elementary school, and they um, deepened as we went through youth group and high school, and that was due to things like mission trips and um, amazing love, like that we sang this morning, that song always takes me immediately back to Monterey, Mexico, and sitting out and looking at the mountains across the valley kind of thing. It's, um, it, it's just one of those life moments that sticks with you forever. Um, so mission trips, serving at vacation Bible school, fun things like Ichthus, and I still can't believe there were adults who were willing to go camp in the middle of a, uh, a cow pasture in the middle of Kentucky um, and listen to ska music with us. So I don't, you know, God bless them. Um, and uh, ski trips, we went on ski trips that were not always smooth sailing. So I don't know, things like that that really kind of gave us roots here. And that led to college and beyond. When, when I left the house, I knew that one of the first things I needed to find was a community. And so I found a church and immediately jumped into um, small groups and to serving. That was the first time that I worked in children's ministry. So um, part of leading me to where I am. And the same thing when, when I moved out to Colorado and took a while to find a church. But once I did, I said, okay, now, now I need people. And so that's when I started working with youth group, and I met Rob, and that's not a guarantee that if you start working at um, a church, you're going to find your spouse, but, you know, you do meet some really fantastic people. Um, and so through, through all of that, I really learned that co- community that you can find in a local church is what can keep you grounded um, no matter what your work ends up being or your, your ministry, um, so... Leslie, you've had church staff experiences with youth in Bloomington, Colorado Springs, and here. Uh, what are some expectations of youth programs you've encountered that you've found are unreasonable or unrealistic? Well, I think there are, there are kind of two extremes. And on one hand, there's the drop-off culture where parents bring their kids on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night and they think, okay, I'm just going to leave discipleship to the professionals at church um, and there's really no follow-through at home. And then on the other hand, there are those who may write off the significance of uh, local church community and, um, and choose instead to do sort of a family as church, independent, uh, individualistic kind of faith. And I think that both of those are sort of on the, the far outside. So what would you say are appropriate or reasonable expectations of church programs? Well, I think there's this really sweet spot where the work of the home and the work of the church um, can converge to really amplify what's going on in each of those. And if you think of the home as a place where we impress the love of God and the character traits of God on our children and we build deep um, traditions and habits um, that help them grow roots, and then the church is the light of the world or the the city on the hill, the, the, the lampstand, that um, really highlights God's goodness and draws people to Christ. Um, so when we fully and intentionally engage in both of those worlds, in the family and the church, we can really give children um, roots that go down deep and branches that spread out really wide. Uh, what, what can parents here do to take full advantage of the resources of the children and youth program at MCC? Well, I would say dig in deep to the MCC family. As with just about everything, you get out what you put in. And, and I've been reading this book, Storm Tossed Family by Russell Moore, and he says that the church is not a collection of families. It is a family. We are not family friendly. We 
our family. And so I think that um, the more you, you dig in, the more you get to know people, the better off. And to do that, I would say join a small group, meet veteran parents, um, and ask them questions. We call them veteran parents because they've been in the trenches. They've been through the battles. They're on the other side. They have um, hindsight, which is, you know, at those questions can be what did you do that worked and what did you do that maybe you would change, that you would do differently. Um, I would say be open about your own struggles because someone somewhere in this group has either been through it or is going through it, and so you can get some advice or maybe just commiserate, and sometimes that's all you need. Um, of course, I would say find somewhere in the church to serve. This is kind of a twofer because you get to know the people that you're volunteering with, and you also get to know those you're serving. So whether it's kids downstairs or greeting at the door, it's a really fantastic way to put names with faces and um, to get to know people outside of your sort of small group. Um, take advantage of outreach and service opportunities that are maybe outside the scope of what a single family can do. Like yesterday, we had representatives from six families at Matthew 25 Ministries. So it was really fun. We served for two hours, and it was kids serving with adults. They got to see, they got to hang out with their friends, and then they also got to see adults serving um, together, and so that was a really fun opportunity. And then today, I don't know if you went to Lightbites, but those fourth through sixth graders served Lightbites. And I told the volunteers, I said, don't do it. You make them do it. So those kids, they cut all the fruit and they helped to bake. That cinnamon bread was baked by um, a Preston, Baden Hop. So good. And all the other baked goods were, were helped with um, by the kids. So that was a really, really, um, that was a fun way for those kids to learn that they're part of family. And when you're part of a family, you have a job to do. So many of these things may seem like they have no direct connection to children's ministry or children's programs, and that's because I think the most important thing that parents can do is walk out your face um, in front of your kids and talk about it as we sit and walk and lie down and rise up. And I can attest to that, and and Rob, my husband, tells the story of his grandparents working uh, they were part of the, the Southern Baptist Convention, and they worked in a food pantry that put together Christmas meals and Thanksgiving meals and gathered Christmas gifts and took the families in need. And this was something that his mom and grandparents just did. There was no big lesson behind it. There was no big conversation. It was, they just did it. And then um, he says that it was kind of an anchor that pulled him back to the port during his prodigal days. So it still stands out in his mind as something that was really important. So I would say fully participate in what the church has to offer. It doesn't have to mean a whole bunch of new activities added on your schedule. Just do what you're doing and include your kids. Or if it's something you can't include your kids, like you're going to men's ministry or women's ministry or something, you say, you're part of this important thing that I'm doing right now simply by being okay with me going. It's important for me to be with other men or other women um, or serving other people. So thanks for being part of this. Um, And talk about it with your kids. Okay, at the outset, we mentioned that there are folks that kids are gone or never had kids or, you know, in in some cases, even a child may have died. Um, How can those folks invest in children, whether here or elsewhere? I love this question. This is really important to me. Um, Back to the storm-tossed family by Russell Moore, he says, there is no such thing as a Christian without children. You are part of the church and the household of God, a household into which, at least so far in every generation, uh, God brings children. You either treat those children as part of your responsibility, as part of the body of Christ, or you will treat those children as 
at least as far as you're concerned, orphans. Children are a sign of God's blessing, and if you're in Christ, that blessing is around you, whether you bear children biologically or not. And um, there's a place for everybody hearing this to enter into training children as assets or as arrows into generations. You probably have nieces or nephews or maybe friends who have kids. Um, We have the children's program here, and I love connecting people with ways that they can serve that fit their gifting. Um, And if children aren't necessarily your thing, then we have a middle school and a a high school youth group that could... um, that could be a good connection point for you. And we even have a young adult ministry where there are young adults who have recently been shot out into the world as arrows, and they could use some mentors. So no matter what your, your bent is, um, there's a place for you to serve. And if you don't know somebody who has kids or you don't have access to somebody who is younger to you, let me know, and I will introduce you around because I know people. Let Leslie... Thank you for saying things that I couldn't say nearly as well as, as you have. Well, there you have it. God's vision, where kids come from, what God has in mind, how they grow, how the church can help. So what is the place of kids in building strong families? I think... Most parents would agree to the truth of Frederick Nietzsche's observation, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. So what I'd like you to do now is just take a minute, and we've got our application questions up on the screen. Just take a minute and ask God if there is an I will statement in what's been talked about today for the day, for the week, for the month, or maybe even for a lifetime. Are we compelled by the vision of the arrow and the archer? Do we acknowledge the underlying design of our children as something endowed by God before birth? Am I seeing my child, my children, my grandchildren, the children I invest in as integral links in the succession of people that manifest God to this generation and the next? Are we students of our children? Are we inculcating the precepts of God in the classroom of life? Are we disciplined in the exercise of discipline? Are we taking full advantage of the resources available as part of the church, the body of Christ? Take a minute with that. Paul and Lois are one prayer, prayer team on one side. Uh, Sean and Carlos are prayer team on another. If you have some dimension that you'd like to ask prayer for, commit to God in prayer, join our prayer teams, and in 45 seconds, we'll close our service. Take a moment to reflect before the Lord.